Welcome Northeast Conference fans to our latest NEC Now podcast on the NEC Overtime Pod. I am joined by Long Island University's Assistant Director of Athletics and Director of Athletic Media Relations, Casey Snedekor. Today we will be discussing Title IX and the role of women in collegiate athletics. Casey, thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Of course. I'm so excited to have you on today, and I'd really love to just dive into a conversation about Title IX. But first, for those listening that may be unaware, Title IX is a landmark amendment signed into law in 1972 that prohibits discrimination based on gender for education programs and activities. This includes athletics that receive federal aid. So Casey, you've been involved with Title IX and athletics in many different capacities. I'd like to first go back to your time as a female student athlete. I understand your middle school never had a girls soccer team and you had to play field hockey, but somewhere along the way you were able to get involved in the sport and ended up competing on the women's soccer team at Clark University, graduating in 2005. Obviously I'm a little bit biased towards field hockey. I played it myself throughout college, but that wasn't what you wanted. How were you able to eventually get involved in soccer? Yeah, well, I actually started playing soccer when I was four. So I have played soccer my entire life, um, and it was, I went to a small school, small Quaker school outside of Philly, and when I was in middle school, it just it wasn't an option. They didn't offer soccer, and so I was still playing outside of school um, in local teams, but we had a requirement um, to play sports in middle school and through high school. And so I had to pick a fall sport and I'm, I'm awful at volleyball. So that wasn't an option. And so I was like, all right, field hockey is kind of close to soccer. So I actually played both throughout the fall um, in middle school and then basketball and lacrosse as well. Um, and I loved field hockey, but it was not my sport. Yeah, my yeah. sports were <laughs> soccer and lacrosse. Um, but I really, I loved that I got to play it. Um, and then they started, they actually did start a women's soccer team in that middle school after I had advanced mm -hmm. to the high school. Um, but yeah, so I played in high school um, and was a team captain there and was super excited. They started a middle school team and then played D3 athletics, which was, uh, it was great. I played soccer and lacrosse in college, club lacrosse. Um, and then I've been sort of working in sports ever since, not sort of, I have been working in sports yeah. ever since. <laughs> Yes, and we'll get a little further into your career like throughout this conversation. Um, but in a piece on womensrunning.com, you wrote that, quote, Title IX defines who I am as an athlete. There's absolutely no way that I would have been an athlete at the collegiate level without it. It's quite possible I wouldn't have played sports in high school either. Can you just expand upon that and explain how Title IX has impacted your life? Yeah, I mean, I've been very aware of how important that was. I had two aunts on my dad's side. My dad's two sisters, Joan and Judy, have were have been a huge impact throughout my life. And they, I remember having conversations with them and they would say how excited they were I was playing sports as a kid. So my dad swam in college and mm -hmm. both of his sisters swam. Neither of them could swim competitively. My aunt tells me frequently I did synchronized swimming because I could not swim competitively. So as it, from a very young age, I was aware of the fact that, I mean, I was in, I want to say, so Title IX passed in 72. I was born in 82. So I really was the first sort of wave of girls who grew up getting those opportunities. Mm -hmm. like it just didn't exist before. So I was just very aware of that and always um, 
as a kid, a tomboy, I always wanted to play. When we played football, I wanted to be quarterback. Like I did not understand why I had to be different from the boys. And yeah. in a lot of cases, I was a better athlete than the guys. So it's very much a thing where I was like, this is stupid. I want every opportunity. So um, it's not until sort of growing up and going to, I got uh, my master's degree and took a class in Title yeah. IX that yeah. I really realized like, how much of an opportunity I'd had that had not come for just not even the generation before me, but the humans who were 20 or 30 years older, than yeah. me, like just my aunts, you know, and my mom and my, they did not have that opportunity. So I was just very aware of it throughout my career, um, how lucky I was that I had the choice of not just cheerleading or synchronized swimming that I could choose field hockey or volleyball or soccer and then in the winter basketball like I got to choose what I played for the most part and those opportunities weren't all there all the time but um, I know by the time I got to college it was close to 30 years of title nine so it was when it was really starting to come into effect and the teams were evenly funded and you know the opportunities were there. Yeah, so after Clark, like you mentioned, you went on to receive your master's degree in sports management from California University of Pennsylvania, and it was here that you took a whole class on Title IX. What most stands out to you from that class? Like, what is something you learned that has stuck with you? I just, <laughs> honestly, the thing that has stuck with me is how little people know about Title IX. Yes. Yeah. And how little I knew as a female athlete about a law that directly affected yes. my life and my profession. And it was not, it was not until I took that class that I realized how little I knew um, and then sort of turned that around to how little everybody else also mm -hmm. knew. And so it's I spent a lot of time in my life hearing people say things about Title IX that just are not true. And it's mm -hmm. not coming from a place of malevolence. It's coming from a place of they just have no idea what the actual law entails. So um, that was the big thing was how little I knew. And I've kept all of the stuff, all of the reference books from that class, just because I was, I knew it was like, I'm going to need this moving yeah. forward. I need this yeah. knowledge and this army, so. Yeah, and why do you think these classes aren't being taught to undergraduates? Like you mentioned before, and something you said in the podcast that we'll talk about later, is that the majority of your female athletes aren't as informed on Title IX, and like the laws that most affect them, as they probably should be. Aren't these classes something we probably should be offering? Yeah, I think that's starting to happen more. Um, the un the graduate program I took in sports management is now being replicated. Like I know LIU has started their own sports management program in the last few years at the undergrad level. Sports management wasn't a thing you could major in when, <laughs> when I was in college. Like it just wasn't a, this field that was exploding. Um, yeah. And so I think that's going to lead to more female athletes being aware undergrad. Um, that's for sure. Of course, I would push any sports management program to teach their male and female athletes. Um, I, I walk a weird line because I kind of love that they have no idea that this law exists because that means we're doing a good job. We're mm -hmm. not like as a country, yeah, no, I understand. athletics is not doing a good job, but like that they don't think about that are, for example, our women's basketball players don't think about the fact that they get everything that the men get like it's mm -hmm. just assumed and they don't realize that in my lifetime that's a change that occurred you know mm -hmm. as someone who works with them so it's a it's a it's a it's a both and like I think it's really important that female athletes and coaches and administrators know about the law and educate themselves on it um but I also kind of love that they don't necessarily have to that it's because they should just it should just be equal 
Yeah, no, definitely. And as someone who was very recently in college, it's really interesting that you bring that up because I don't think I didn't have to think about it at all. And I had the privilege to not have to be super aware of that at the time. Yeah. And that's the ultimate goal is that yeah. it won't be an issue. Um, I think we're not there yet, mm -hmm. um, but we're getting closer. Yeah. So we know Title IX increased women's particip participation in sports, but drastically decreased women in head coaching positions as those positions became more lucrative. What do you think we need to be doing in order to increase the prominence of women in athletic leadership roles? I don't know. And this is something I have been struggling with for years. Um, when the NCA, the 45th anniversary of Title IX was a few years ago, which is when yeah. I did that podcast, um, and the NCA released a report about it. Um, and yeah, it showed that women's coaches have gone down. Like it, I think it used to be when Title IX was passed, 90% of coaches yeah. of women's programs were women. And now it's yeah. 43% or something. Yes. Um, I think it's going to be a multi-pronged approach. I think it's going to take white men stepping away a little bit mm -hmm. and realizing they can't take all of these jobs. Uh, I don't think that's likely. So I think in the meantime, what I'm working on, both for women and black athletes and minorities, is trying to talk more about it at an entry level so that mm -hmm. women like you are starting to come into the profession and get that experience. Because I had a conversation with a colleague the other day with one of the conversations on the West Coast uh, passed the Bill Russell rule, which is that they have to have a minority candidate. Mm -hmm as a finalist in every job position. And I said in a meeting, that's great. And I totally support that. But I also know as someone who's hired in the past two years, two years ago, I had zero minority candidates. And I think one or two women applying for positioning in my department. And as, as a human who has tried actively to hire black people and women and underrepresented populations, it's so frustrating to have zero to not even have the option to interview those people so um to me i think it's two-pronged and i love rules like that where it's becoming required to interview people like that but i want to work a little bit more on the up and coming side and the kids who are in the social um in the sports management programs and like you who are new in the industry and really supporting them and bringing them up so that 10 years from now i have a 50 50 split of applicants mm -hmm. who are men and women applying for jobs yeah. And in your own position, you are a minority. Only 32% of assistant directors of athletics are women. And in the NEC, you're the only female director of athletic media. What has it been like for you stepping into this space? And can you tell our listeners a bit more about your career path up until this point? So I started as a sports reporter. In college, I did an internship where I was writing for athletes' websites. And I wanted to be Rick Riley, who wrote the column on the last page of Sports Illustrated. So I worked for a newspaper group in Boston for a year and got laid off because the paper got bought out, which, you know, newspapers are not a stable industry still to this day. But, um, and it was sort of fate. As I was talking to our women's basketball coach earlier, it was kind of by accident I even discovered sports information or media relations was a thing. Um, a job opened up at my alma mater and I was unemployed and looking for a job and this was technically writing about sports. And so I was all in and wanted to apply. Now I know that that was laughable and that I was vastly underexperienced and not at all qualified, but that opened the door to the field. And I got an internship at Penn and went on from there and I've been doing it for 
I don't know, 13 or 14 years um, now. And I've worked at Penn and I worked at Columbia. I was at the Intercollegiate Tennis Association for a minute. And then I've been here at LAU for almost eight years now. And yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting journey because I do know when I started, there were, there are not, a, there were not a lot of women in the field. I though, in thinking about this in preparation for this interview, realized I have been surrounded by women almost my entire career. My boss at Columbia was a woman. She works at Texas now. Um, and the athletic director at Columbia was a woman. And they're like, they're, most of the admin team at Columbia was women. There were men on the panel, I mean, on the team, but um, it was almost all entirely women. And the same thing when I came to LIU a couple of years ago, every leadership position in the department was held by women. Everyone, like AD, assistant AD, associate ADs, head tra athletic trainer, compliance, like we are all women. So I have been really lucky in that I've been at departments where being a female leader is not abnormal, you know, and, and being in the NEC, we've had the entire time I've been at LIU, Noreen has been the commissioner of the conference. And that's like, she's, I think that's 22% of D1 conference commissioners yeah. are women. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Irma at St. Francis Brooklyn, like it's, mm -hmm. I have been in a place where I have seen women in the roles that I want to have. So I've been lucky in that sense. But I also do acknowledge I am the only woman in the room when we have our NEC SID meetings. And I am I remember my first professional conference, I was one of about 15 women at a conference of 300 people. So there, when in those moments, when it's grouped together, it's very clear how I'm a minority, but I have been lucky in that a day-to-day -day in my career, I have not ever felt like I was. Um, it's a little bit different, especially when I travel with, for example, men's basketball, there are not very many women who work with men's basketball teams at the division one levels. And I'm aware of that. Um, constantly, but I've never felt like it was something I couldn't do. Like I said, because I have been surrounded by all these really strong, amazing women in athletics. I have just sort of assumed it was a path I could take. This podcast I've mentioned multiple times already without saying by name, but you were on the Run Selfie Repeat podcast back in December of 2018. The episode is called Let's Talk Title IX with Casey Snedekorf. I have to say, I love this episode. I've listened to it probably three times already. So again, a little biased in that way. And I don't want to repeat everything you said in this podcast, but there were a few noteworthy points I wanted to address. You said that a lot of people think that Title IX says women have to have the same opportunities as men exactly, which is not actually true. People are cutting, for example, men's tennis or wrestling or men's swimming. Those are a lot of sports that are getting cut and they're arguing that those are getting cut because of women. They're not, they're getting cut because of football usually. Could you explain this concept a little bit more and why it's detrimental to the image of Title IX when people don't understand that and they think that these women's sports are coming in and taking away the men's sports when that's not the case? Yeah, I don't have as much paperwork in front of me as I did when I did that, so I can't, mm -hmm. I can't quote myself exactly, but it, it's uh, Title IX, um, the NCA has said that Title IX can then be enforced. They have a three-prong approach. Yes. So it can, like, there are three prongs, and I would encourage anyone who's still listening at this point and interested to just research that. Um, but essentially, you have to, the one that most schools are on is proving that you are working towards being mm -hmm. Title IX compliant, because most schools aren't. Yes. Um, and so the, the thing that 
and I love football. I don't, and men's basketball. I don't mm -hmm. want anyone to get mad at me for that. I do love those sports, but it's, it's about how athletic directors are choosing to spend the department's money. It's not about softball has to have the same as football. It's that you have to demonstrate that you're representing the breakdown of the university's gender equity, essentially. So if you, and the interests of the students. So if you have, or you're, dem you're able to demonstrate that you're spending money in the same sort of way, it works. Uh, it's a little bit more cut and dry for the teams like men's and women's soccer. Like mm -hmm. that's an example where, yeah, you gotta be pretty close because that's even, but everything, everyone will agree, nobody touches football. Like that's a different beast. They have a hundred athletes and equipment and it's mm -hmm. nuts. Um, but I think what I like, I remember, so when I was at the ITA, the Intercollegiate Tennis Association, one of the things we were working on was lobbying schools not to cut men's tennis programs. And I remember the example I remember for that was Arizona State was cutting their men's tennis and men's swimming program. And I remember reading an article that broke down that it was not that women's teams were not causing it. It was that the athletic director at the time had decided to spend $88 million building an indoor football facility yes. and had to cut. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's Arizona. Do you need an indoor football facility? But so it's more, it's that's, I think, it's easy to scapegoat women's sports and say it's that fault because everybody loves football. Um, but I think most of the time it's, I think that the, the way to go about it is to start to challenge these people on how they're spending their money. It's especially interesting now with the current climate, lots of departments are making lots of cuts and there are a lot of really hard decisions being made. And they're still protecting football in a really weird way. Um, so I think it's just, I think it's interesting. I'm hoping that the changes that start to come out of this result in a more equitable spending. And like, I don't know how that will work, but I just would encourage anyone if they do think like, oh, men's swimming got cut because they added women's rowing. Like that's not true. It's because they decided to spend money on football or basketball. And you kind of have to flip it on its head a little bit, which makes people uncomfortable and they don't want to think about it. <laughs> they're arguing about men's sports in general, then they're probably excited about men's sports. So yeah, it's tricky. Definitely. Um, so something you mentioned before and also on the Run Selfie Repeat podcast is that most schools aren't Title IX compliant. And on the um, Run Selfie Repeat podcast, you guesstimated as much as 90% of schools aren't. What does an actually Title IX um, compliant department look like in your opinion? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know if, if it exists in our current state of college athletics. Um, I mean, ideally, it would be that there's a 50-50 split mm -hmm. in money. Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I don't know. I think there are lots of different ways to do it. Um, and that's an ongoing debate as to what the best way to do it would look like. For me, I would, well, I also hope that the, the way things are changing right now will result in athletic directors sort of examining how they're doing things in general, both with hiring and diversity and opportunities. Um, and you could argue that the model of college athletics as it stands right now is not going to be the way it is moving forward, that this mm -hmm. is going to cause some pretty big changes. I mean, already, like Stanford used to be the 
they are they were the model for the school with all the Olympic sports and they were all successful and they kept something like 11 programs so many yeah. so it's I don't know what it's going to look like moving forward but I hope that it seen has a chance to sort of reevaluate what we're doing and get more diverse hires and I think really focus on shifting the balance and having more women coaching women's sports and having black representation because even though I am like one of I'm a minority in the 30% mm-hmm. of assistant athletic directors it's worse for minorities yes. like it's 10% yeah. black and 6% every other ethnic mm-hmm. which is like that doesn't represent our athletes the makeup of our athletes right exactly. so yeah. I, I would hope that I don't know that there is a perfect like utopia college athletic department because this business is changing so rapidly and so frequently and it's just I don't know but I would love to see more women at the top more minorities at the top more black people in leadership positions because I think that will result automatically in a more even distribution and a shift away from the dependence on football and sort of the and men's basketball and a little bit more distributed evenly. I think those conversations are already starting because as schools are cutting Olympic programs, people are having the conversations about why these are actually important and you shouldn't cut mm-hmm. them. Yeah, um, like I know Dartmouth had, has, was talking about cutting some programs and they saved some of them because the alums spoke out and talked about how important that athletics was. So I'm hoping that, that will lead, those conversations will lead to a more sustainable model for college athletics, which will then allow us to sort of move towards a more diverse and equitable setup. But. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, I don't expect you or anyone to have all the answers. I like to think if we had all the answers, things would be a little different. Right? I would just make a quick phone call. <laughs> yeah, if only it was yeah. that easy. Uh, okay, and my final reference to this podcast, um, you said that you don't think even your own department was Title IX compliant but you're making progress. So since, you know, December of 2018, what tangible progress have you seen LIU make? We've had a lot of changes just in general um, at LIU, um, but we've also had the addition of a lot of teams. We had added, Mm -hmm. since that podcast, I know, I mean, I know we've added women's hockey, which they won their conference in the first season, which was amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And we just added gymnastics. We've also added a couple of men's sports, but um, honestly, those the addition of those two women's sports, I think has been huge because those are two emerging really popular sports in the NCAA and they have shifted the balance of our department already. Like it just, it feels like women's hockey and gymnastics have a weight to them. Like I think, Our gymnastics team has one of the highest Instagram followings of all of our sports, including football and men's basketball. So I know that I already am aware of the fact that this is going to change some stuff and we're going to have a lot more female athletes on campus. Um, and the addition of hockey brought a different kind of female athlete. Do you know what I mean? Like we're adding yeah, yeah. these really cool, diverse ways. Um, so that's gotten better for sure. Um, and I don't think it's going to stop anytime soon. I think this our department and our president are really focused on how we can grow and make our department better constantly. So mm-hmm. I think it's going to be a continuing conversation of sports we can add or how we can support our female student athletes moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've loved adding teams. I thought that was yeah. amazing and I can't wait to watch gymnastics for the, you know, in real life for the first time. Yeah. Year. So yeah, 
it's been cool. And I mean, when we merged too, we added sports yeah. Yeah. here that we didn't have. So women's fencing moved to Brooklyn and I got to work a fencing meet for the first time in 10 years, which was amazing. And I love it. Highly recommend everyone check out fencing. But um, yeah, so I think that's been great. Like it's just sort of expanded our opportunities and our space and our ability to have different teams. So I, uh, I love the path we're on and I'm hoping it keeps getting better and bigger. Yeah, and LAU just does have so many women's teams. It's really great to see. And the diversity within those teams, just from traditionally, you know, women's sports like field hockey and softball, then to those, you know, less traditional women's hockey, things like that. It is really, really great to see. And I'm excited to see what comes in the future. Yeah. Yeah. But stepping back. done a really good job, sorry, of recruiting nope, really right. diverse athletes within that program. Like yeah, definitely. Our track and field team has, and hockey, like from all over the world. You mm -hmm. know, field hockey too started really going worldwide with the recruiting. So I think it's been really amazing. And it's, uh, I really have loved it, especially being in Brooklyn. I think yeah. part, part to one of the two campuses in Brooklyn, I think we are really embracing the city aspect and sort of reflecting the diversity that we see around us all the time. So that's awesome. Yeah, definitely. And I, I have to imagine that having that Brooklyn campus makes it a little, or at least opens up some recruiting options because people love New York City who doesn't want to be in New York City. So yeah. at least directly in the heart of it. So yeah, again, great to hear. And I'm sure it's been really good for the program. But stepping back from LIU to look at the NEC as a whole, the NEC is one of the most progressive Division I conferences when looking at gender equity. And just here are some of the stats. In 2019, nationally, only 24% of head coaches were female. And this number rises within the NEC to 28. For assistant coaches, nationally, only 27% were female. Within the NEC, that's 35%. And today, the conference is the only Division I conference where all the women's head basketball coaches are female. Clearly, there's still work to be done. You know, 35% and that 27%, like not huge numbers, not anywhere near 50%. But um, why do you think the NEC has seen more progress on this front than other conferences? Honestly, I think it's the women in the conference. Mm -hmm. um, I think Noreen Morris as commissioner has really driven that. And it's, I think it's very different for a university president to hear from a female who is the head of a division one conference that they need to be more diverse in their hiring than it is to hear from a white guy. Yes. Just straight up. I think that helps. Um, and I know that's been an important drive for her. Um, and I think within the conference, I got to spend a couple months this year as the senior women's administrator at LIU. Mm -hmm. And I got to know other women in leadership roles at the other schools that I hadn't necessarily met because they weren't in sports information. And they are amazing like Irma and Maggie at St. Francis Brooklyn are doing really good stuff and I mean just across the, the conference the the women in those roles are amazing humans and I think they're really driving and pushing for more diverse hires and more women in those positions and it's not easy and you can't always get what you want like I said sometimes the pool isn't even diverse enough yeah. to make that hire but I do know that there are I think, I mean, the women in the conference are driving that, honestly. Um, and not to say that there aren't some men driving that too, but I think it's coming from the amazing women who already work in this conference. Yeah, sure. definitely. But it's, yeah, it's, I talked to Noreen earlier this week and she spoke a little bit about that dedication to finding, you know, good quality qualified women to be in these leadership positions throughout the conference, which is really great. Yeah, she's an amazing, 
human and I've been really lucky to get to know her over the past eight years and, and learn from her for sure. Just even by being in the same room and watching her and the way she does what she does. Like, I feel really lucky to work in a conference. And I'm, you know, I was also in the Ivy League where Robin Harris was the director, the commissioner there. So again, like I've, seeing those women in those roles has really helped me grow and sort of aspire and like, I remember a couple years ago, Ralph from the NEC played an April Fool's Day trick where he tweeted out from the conference, congratulations to Noreen, Mark Emmert was stepping down and she was the next president of the NCA. And I am a very gullible person in general, so I avoid the internet on same on April Fool's Day. Yeah. But it says a lot about how highly I think of Noreen when I believed it. I 100% yes, believe Noreen can be the president of the NCA, and I like she was in line for that job. I was like, "Yep, that checks. Congratulations!" You know what I mean? Like I was, <laughs> yeah, on board, and you know, and that just speaks to how smart and talented and amazing she is. So I mean, I'm not trying to. No, that's. <laughs> I, I totally get it. Up. Yeah, like she uh, having a woman like that in that position has been amazing for the conference and for me personally. Yeah, and definitely in my short amount of time with the NEC so far, it has been so great just to watch her and hear her from her and just understand her perspective and the way she approaches things. It's been really, really educational and just, I agree, totally echo that sentiment. Yeah. And okay, just by way of wrap up, do you have any, you know, advice or words of encouragement for young women looking to pursue careers in collegiate athletics? Yeah, I mean, I would say, even if, I think it's more a lot of young women don't know that they can pursue a career Mm -hmm. in collegiate athletics. They just, like, they know they wanted to go into social media or marketing, and they don't realize that's an option in sports in the same way. Um, So I would say, um, ask for help. Uh, It's not, that's something I'm really bad at, and I know I have not taken advantage of the women in my life, like Noreen, like Irma, who I could be asking for professional advice. I should be. I should take my own advice on this. But um, I also know that I have not been asked by very many young women how I got where I was. How can I get, how can you help me do this? You know, and, and I know if just for example, if someone said, I'd really like to take you out for coffee and pick your brain on just being a woman in sports. I'm going to say yes to that every time, no matter who it is. Like I am all about, and as far as I know, every woman I've ever met in collegiate athletics is the same. Like you're all about bringing up that next group. Right. Um, And I'm, and I know the women who are ahead of me are the same way, which is why I'm realizing I should take my own advice. But (laughs) I think it's just a matter of just start the conversation. If you're even remotely interested, you can cold email somebody. Like I have, gotten a few cold emails where just they're an undergrad student in the sports management program and they want to ask me some questions Mm -hmm. and I take that call like that's not a call that I'm going to say no I don't have time like to me that's really important is to bring those next group of humans into this field so I would say just start conversations I don't I mean I'm not going to say email Maureen because I'm not going to speak for Noreen but I'm pretty sure Noreen would take that call from an NEC student athlete who wants to work in college? 100%. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, and that's, it's not an imposition. And I think we as women tend to be like, oh, I don't want to overstep or whatever. Mm-hmm. Get rid of that because if that's what, if you want something, you should go for it and you should talk to people who are doing it. Even if it doesn't result in a job, it's going to result in you learning more and then them knowing your name. 
And like, if I know someone's name, I'm more likely to recommend. Like every job I've gotten in college athletics has been because someone else vouched for me. Yes. So like, for example, my first job at Penn, I got that job because I interviewed for a position at Brown and I didn't get that job. But then the woman at Brown, Jean, called Penn and said, you should hire this girl. We couldn't, but you should. Yeah. Right? Like she didn't, I never worked with her. She just knew I was an up and coming female who wanted to work in sports and she advocated for me. Um, and it's been that way every step of my career, someone calling and saying, you should hire this girl. She's amazing. Unprompted from me. Um, so I think that's really important in general in life to have people who advocate for you. But in this industry, it's a thing and it's um, helpful. I don't think it's not going to hurt if someone emails me and asks to talk, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think for sure just start asking questions and see what happens. Yeah, definitely. And that is a very similar sentiment to, from what I've heard advice-wise from everyone I've spoken to. And it's great to see it actually in practice within the Northeast Conference. You know, Coach Haynes has someone on her staff that she has worked with before and, and is helping bring up the ranks. And uh, Coach Simino at St. Francis Brooklyn has three women on her staff that she has previously coached or worked with. So it is, it is really great to see that in practice and great to hear from you as well. Yeah, two of my actual hires in this office were athletes at LIU. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And like one of them now works at Wagner. You know what I mean? Like we, we take care of our people. If you want to work and you want to do the job, like, yeah, let's go. I'll bring you in and teach you what you need to know and mm -hmm. help you get another job. You know? That's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so, and I'd love to do that with more female athletes for sure. Definitely. Well, Casey, thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate your perspective and everything you have been bringing to the Northeast Conference. And I'm really excited to see, you know, what comes next. But I, again, thank you so much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks for having conversations like this. I think it's really important. Yeah, yeah. That was LIU's Assistant Director of Athletics and Director of Athletic Media Relations, Casey Snedekor. And this has been NEC Now.